serving together. Today, I want to share with you hitting the lowest point, and that is found in John chapter 18, 12 to 27. This is focusing on Peter's three denials of Jesus that we are familiar with. So I want to read that scripture to you first. You can follow along. You can read along with me as well if you want to. Um, and then it will set the background, the backdrop for me to expound on God's word as he led me this week as I prepare this message. Okay, John chapter 18, verses 12 to 27. So the band of soldiers and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door, so the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of these men's disciples, are you? He said, I'm not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues, in the temple, with all the Jews who came together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. And he had said these things. One of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. When we come to this passage this morning, I dare say that Peter has indeed reached the lowest point of his life. As a disciple of Jesus, you can't go any lower than when you deny your Lord publicly three times. And Judas' betrayal is worse but you can't really include him because he was called the son of destruction. He was not really one of them. You can't compare them together. You see, both Jesus and Peter were under trial. Jesus was tried by the Sanhedrin, the highest ruling body of the Jewish affair under Roman's rule. And Peter? Peter was tried by the crowd who confronted him three times about his relationship with Jesus, and each time he denied Jesus. See, John has a unique way of presenting Peter's denial of Jesus. Instead of presenting Jesus and Peter one at a time, he chooses to intersect their stories. So, it will show later 
that Jesus is arrested in verses 12 to 14, and then he jumped to Peter, denied Jesus in verse 15 to 18, and then he came back to Jesus, he's being questioned in verses 19 to 24, and then he will jump to Peter the last time when Peter denies Jesus again, the second time and the third time. In such presentation, he forces the readers, the audience, to look at Jesus and Peter and back to Jesus and back to Peter again. He wants you to make comparison and ask, what about me? Would I hold my ground for Jesus? That was the intention. Matthew, Mark, Luke didn't do that. They gave statement about what happened, but only John put it in the question that provoked thinking and reflection on the audience. So today, let's look at the four movements that have brought Peter to his lowest point. So buckle up for today's sermon, because you'll be looking back and forth and left and right and right and left again, and you might have motion sickness. See? First of all, let's look at number one. Jesus is arrested, verses 12 to 14. And before I go there and beginning in verse 12, let me summarize verses 1 to 11 because we didn't touch that last week. In verses 1 to 11, Judas led the band of Roman soldiers and the temple police to the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter took out a sword and struck the high priest's servant, his, his name was Malchus, and cut off his right ear. But Jesus told Peter to put the sword away because he must submit to the will of the Father to go to the cross. And having said that, Jesus healed the servant's ear. It was not recorded in John, but it was recorded in other Gospels. Now beginning in verse 12. The band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And then verse 13, first they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now who was this Annas? He's the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the scripture says, who is the high priest of the year. You see, Annas has stepped down as the high priest, a retired high priest. He still carries enormous influence because five of his sons were high priests, plus a son-in-law, Caiaphas. So he's like a patriarch of a priestly family, well-known at that time for its wealth and power and also greed. In verse 14, John specifically mentioned Caiaphas as the one who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. And if you remember, in our series preaching through John, that was in chapter 11, verses 49 to 52, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and Jesus became immensely popular among the people. His followers and disciples increased tremendously. And Caiaphas was afraid that such movement might invite the Roman armies to come and suppress the Jews to stamp out any apparent uprising. See, the Romans want stability. So he has decided to sacrifice Jesus for the sake of political st stability of the nation. So it's better to sacrifice one than to sacrifice the whole nation. So the Jewish leaders, together with Caiaphas, began to make plans to put him to death. It was specifically mentioned again because now Jesus 
is presented to Caiaphas, it is time to carry out the plan. Now the scene switched to Peter. Second point, Peter denies Jesus the first time. Verses 15 through 18. It says, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Who is this disciple? Most New Testament scholars would agree that most likely, they can't say for 100% sure, but most likely he is the beloved disciple. He is Apostle John. You know, it is admirable that Peter and John would still follow Jesus, though at a distance, with the rest, while the rest have fled Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. They all ran away, scattered. And through the connection of John in verse 16, that Peter was brought into the courtyard because Peter stood outside at the door. He couldn't get in. John knows the high priest, maybe through his family connection, maybe through his father's business. See, when he left the family business to follow Jesus, the Bible says in Mark that he left his father, he left the boat, and hired hands. They're workers. It's a small company. So maybe through the father's connection, he gets to know the high priest, who was known to the high priest and went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. So Peter was brought in. But as he was walking in, verse 17, the servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? Notice the servant girls confront Peter with a question expecting a negative answer. The servant girl is basically saying, you could be another one of this man's disciples, could you? And she made it easy for, people to, uh, for, for Peter to say, nope. And this is where Peter's first denial of Jesus ha happened. Jesus, Peter says, I am not. You know, in the Gospel of Matthew and Mark and Luke, the same statement, the same statement were posed as an affirmative statement to Peter. Matthew, he says, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. Mark says, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. Luke says, this man was also with him. It was a statement telling the facts. Only John posed it as a question through the mouth of of the servant girl and says, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? Why? Why did John wrote in such a way, inspired by the Holy Spirit? What was his intention? I believe his intention was to make you think, what would be the answer? What would Peter say? He's basically saying, Peter, answer the question. You have a chance to go either way because this is not a statement. It is a question. When there's a question, you can answer yes or no. How would you answer, Peter? And that same question is posed to all the readers, the audience who will be listening in as they see the narratives unfold. What about you? If you were under the same circumstances, what would you say? That was intention. But Peter denied for the first time. Then in verse 18, it tells us that the servants and the officers made a charcoal fire 
It was cold. They were standing together, warming themselves. And Peter was with them standing and warming himself. Now let's switch back to Jesus' trial. Jesus is questioned, number three, verses 19 to 24. The high priest then questioned Jesus in verse 19 about two things. One, his disciples and his teaching. Why was he asking about Jesus' disciples? He was asking Jesus about his disciples to ascertain the size of the following. Since one of the religious leaders' chief concern was the power of Jesus' popularity and his interests, in his teachings, undoubtedly resolve around Jesus' claim that he's the Messiah and he's the Son of God. And they actually work together. He's the Messiah, he's the Son of God, attracts the crowd. He attracts the crowd. He draws the attention of the Roman military and they, and, they, and they bring their armies to come and suppress them. He wants stability. So he was asking his disciple and his teaching. Jesus didn't answer about the disciples. Jesus answered about his teaching. Verses 20 20 to 21, he says, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews came together. I have said nothing in secret. Everything I said is in public record. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. If you want an objective perspective, talk to the listeners. And you find the facts from them, objectively and not from me. And upon that, verses 22 to 23, one of the temple police slapped Jesus. But Jesus came back and challenged the legitimacy of his violent act by asking for the proof of his falsehood. If if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? And they couldn't find the answer, and there were no evidence. And this is when Annas sent Jesus to the presiding high priest, Caiaphas, again. Now we switch back to Peter for the last time, when Peter denies Jesus again, the second time and the third time, verses 25 to 27. In Peter's second denial, Another question was posed to him. You also are not one of the disciples, are you? Again, expecting him to answer in a negative way, which he did. Peter said, I am not. Again, if you check Matthew and Mark and Luke, respectively, are the man was with Jesus of Nazareth. This man is one of them. You also are one of them, stating the facts. But John is the one who gave it as a question. Think about that. How would you answer? Peter, how would you answer? An audience who are listening to the story and, and follow the narratives, how would you answer if you are put in the same narrative in your workplace, in your neighborhood, encountering some people who are antagonistic towards your faith, challenge your faith? How would you answer? That's the intention. When this question is posed to Peter, Peter answered the question. You can go either way. How would you answer? Audience, how would you answer? And for the third time, 
verses 26 to 27, in the most powerful and final confrontation, which is from a relative of the man whose right ear was slashed by Peter. He asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? I was there. I saw you, I believe. Were you the one? Again, in Matthew and Mark and Luke, it was three statements only. Certainly, you two are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Certainly, you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. And Luke says, certainly this man also was with him, for he, was, he too was a Galilean. But this time in the Gospel of John, in, it is a question expecting a positive answer. I was with them. I was with Jesus. And this is the last chance for Peter to state his relationship with Jesus. You can almost hear the audience listening into the stories and the narratives calling out, Peter, answer the question, please. Now they expect the answer, yes. The first two questions, I expect to say no. Now they say yes. Please say yes. Tell them that you were with Jesus in the garden. Don't lose it, man. Don't lose it. This is the last chance. You can almost see the, the excitement and, and urgency from the audience, like leaning forward, sitting on the edge, like, do it, man, do it. But sadly, Peter denied the third time. And the rooster crowed at once. And that's the story that we know so familiar, that has been told so many times. And many of you as Bible study leaders, as Sunday school teachers, you have told the story many, many times as well. That question was presented to Peter, but comes back to confront us as well as audience. Now think about that. Think about the rooster. Think about the rooster. Peter doesn't have to sink any lower because he is already at the rock bottom. In Peter's denial, Jesus loses a major follower, a major spokesperson, until he is restored later. One commentator puts it this way and summarizes the three denials. Jesus stood up to his interrogators and denied nothing. Peter cowers before the interrogators and denies everything. That's a good way to summarize it. Have you noticed in the Gospel of John how Peter's denial progresses from a plea of ignorance to a denial plus an oath that I don't know this man, and then to cursing and swearing with a total denial that he ever knew Jesus? The significance of the three denials lies in its superlative force. It underscores the disciples' resolve to deny Jesus. And you and I listening on can help it and ask, why? Why, Peter? What happened? How could you? A pastor in the 1900s, J.C. Rell, puts it in a very succinct way summarizing Peter's life and why he would come to the stage and ask why. He says, it was a great sin 
We see a man who followed Christ for three years who had been forward in professing faith and love towards him. A man who had received boundless mercies and loving kindness and had been treated by Christ as a familiar friend. We see this man denying three times in a row that he knows Jesus. He said it was a sin committed under circumstances of great aggravation. Peter had been warned plainly of his danger, and he had heard the warning. He had just been receiving the bread and the wine of the Lord's Supper from Jesus himself just a few hours ago. He had just been loudly declaring that though he died with Jesus, he would not deny him. I might add personally that Peter was the one who professed Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, remember? And he also witnessed personally how Judas betrayed the Lord in the garden. He was there. But that didn't send him a warning sign. J.C. Rowell continues and said, and it was a sin committed under apparently small provocation. Two women make the remark that he was with Jesus. And then those who stood by say, surely you are one of them. No threat seems to have been used. No violence to have been done. But it was enough to overthrow Peter's faith. He denies him before them all. It is a truly humbling sight to see an apostle of Christ crumble like that. J.C. Rell concludes that way. It is truly a humbling sight to see an apostle of Christ crumble like that. What has gone wrong? Pastor John MacArthur summarizes, summarizes Peter's failure in this way. Six points. He said, first, he boasted too much. He has too much confidence in his flesh. I will never forsake you. Secondly, he listened too little. He ignored the four warnings of Jesus. And thirdly, he prayed too little. He slept through the prayer meeting in the Garden of Gethsemane. Fourthly, he said he acted too fast. He reacted on his own without considering the Lord's will, grabbed a sword, started swinging it around. Fifthly, he, he followed too far, too far away. He would have been a lot better off if he had, get, he had gone all the way across the courtyard and stood right next to the Lord, where he can lean on the Lord for strength and for confidence and for faith. But he was too far away. And finally, the sixth reason is that he fell too low. Here, he lands in the pit of profanity. He cursed, denying the very Lord he confessed. Pastor John MacArthur summarized it in a, in a wonderful way. But personally, I think there are many reasons. You can try to portray emotionally, physically, even spiritually. But I think it was a spiritual warfare. It was a spiritual warfare. In Luke chapter 22, verses 31 to 32, that's the fundamental reason why Peter denies the Lord three times. The Lord said to Simon, Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. Simon, Simon, Satan demanded to have you. He's coming after you that he might sift you 
like a wheat. That's the main reason. But in verse 32, Jesus says to him, But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, when you have returned, when you come back, when you have re repented, strengthen your brothers. Yes, you fail, but come back stronger and be a blessing to those who might have failed, who might walk in a path of failure, and you can speak to them very powerfully. I think that's the reason. Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. You know, we tend to be most teachable when we are at the lowest, part of, lowest point of our lives. That's the message I want you to have today. We tend to be most teachable when we are at the lowest point of our lives. You see, in Matthew and Mark and Luke, now not recorded in John, but in these three Gospels, it was recorded that when the rooster crowd, it says, Peter remembers the saying of Jesus. And he wept bitterly, Matthew says. Mark says, Peter broke down and wept. And look, look at this, that none of the couple say, but look at this. The Lord turned and looked at Peter, and he went out and wept bitterly. We tend to be most teachable when we are at the lowest point in our lives. The Peter who has shown deep remorse, flowed tears of repentance, will be restored by the Lord after he has confirmed his love for Jesus. He became most teachable in his lowest point. Today, I want to share with you three thoughts as you are sitting there and said, what does it do to me? That's Peter. We know the story so well before you even expound it. I can tell you the story too, right? So what does it do to me when I hear it one more time. Three thoughts for you. Maybe one thought will hit you. First, in application, your lowest point in life is not the end. It is your lowest point, yes, but it is not the end, or it doesn't have to be the end. Peter shall meet Jesus at the Sea of Galilee after Jesus rose from the dead. And he will be invited to affirm his love for Jesus three times, just like he denied the Lord three times, and be restored as a spokesperson, as a gospel messenger of our Lord Jesus. My point is, brothers and sisters, don't let one event define your whole life, no matter how drastic that event can be, or how damaging that event can be in your life. If you are honest with yourself, most of us, if not all of us, will be able to say, yes, there was one point I hit the lowest, either spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, intellectually. There was one point we hit the lowest in our lives. And you know that. And they come back to haunt you over and over again, over and over again. I spoke to the 50-plus, the older generation, 50 years and older, I told them, now that we have more time, 
and some of you are retired, what happened is things that you have done and you regret it and you don't remember anymore, now it comes back to haunt you because you have time to reflect now and think. And in your sleepless nights, that are the thoughts that you entertain over and over again, over and over again. And when you can't get rid of it, what happens? You beat up yourself. You just keep beating up yourself. You refuse to let it go. You refuse to forgive yourself. Even Christ has forgiven himself. Don't be locked into a failure or a setback in life. Life is bigger than one issue, people. Life is bigger than that one issue. Life is full of turning points and second chances if you are willing to come to the cross of Jesus. And that's the point. You need to come to the cross of Jesus. There will be second chance and turning points. And Paul was given a second chance. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointed me to his service. Wow, what a privilege. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent to this faith, to Christianity. I curse God. I went out and persecuted Christians. I ridiculed them. That's my former life, but I received mercy. I got a second chance. I received mercy. Why? Because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. I was foolish. I was ignorant. I was naive. And the grace of our Lord, I didn't deserve it. I could be heading to hell, but the grace of God has stopped me on my way to Damascus and shone His light on me and call me out and say, Saul, Saul, why did you persecute me? You are persecuting my people, my chosen ones, my elect. And that grace of the Lord overflow for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The faith in Jesus Christ through the cross that He has done the substitutionary death on my behalf that when I received Him, forgiveness comes to me and reconciliation with the Father comes to me. The faith of Jesus and the love of Jesus that He has shown on the cross and continue to show in my life when He scooped down and washed the feet of the disciples and said, do likewise unto one another. Second chance, thank God, that your lowest point in life is not the end. And I hope some of you who are still wrestling with that one issue that haunts you, that refuses to go away, that continues to affect your life, your effectiveness, your joy, your peace, will be able to be dealt with at the cross of Jesus that even if it comes back again to haunt you, that you are able to live in peace because the, the blood of Jesus has covered you and Jesus has bought that burden for you. Secondly, second point, your lowest point in life can be a launching pad for achieving greater heights in life. 
That's why I was saying that we become most teachable in our lowest point. And so did Peter. You remember in John 21, verse 15, he said to Simon, son of John, do you love me more than this? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then he said, feed my lambs. And that's what he did. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 4, he was a pastor's pastor. He was at his best coaching, mentoring the next generation of leaders by reminding them, so I exhort the elders among you, the pastors and the elders, as a fellow elder and a witness on the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Just as he was restored and was given the responsibility to shepherd God's flock. Feed my lamb. How do you do that? Exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God will have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Lead by example. That vocal, proactive, action-oriented Peter is now a humble shepherd. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Peter at his best. Matured, gracious, understanding, wounded, and able to be a wounded healer of others. The lowest point in life can be a launching pad for achieving greater heights in life. So that lesson never goes away. It becomes a blessing to others. And finally, your lowest point in life can serve as a lifelong lesson for humility. Oh, yeah. We need humility. Oh, we need humility. We need to listen to one another. We need to know that our point is not the only point. We need to know no matter how strong you believe in this conviction that this is not, not the whole truth. Not the whole truth. Never the whole truth. No one has the whole truth. Only Jesus said. He says, I am the truth. He has the whole truth. We don't. Be humble. Then we can talk. Then we can be a listener. Then we can dialogue. We don't have to scream. We don't have to shoot each other and kill each other. We can talk and agree to disagree. Lifelong lesson for humility. First Peter chapter 5, verse 6 he exhorts us, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you. You see, sometimes you can't wait. You have a timeline. You have a strategy. You have a KPI to demonstrate, to prove. And you want it to be in a certain time, in a certain way, so that you can measure up. Peter says, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, 
at His time, He makes all things beautiful. See, sometimes in the name of God, in the name of Jesus, a lot of damages can be done if you do not submit to His will and His time. See, God's name is powerful. When you use God's name to propagate your own agenda, push your own agenda, you can hurt a lot of people. I like the way Peter finally became matured, gracious, wise as a pastor. Be humble under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, he may exalt you, exalt your work, exalt your project, exalt your agenda for him and for his glory. Jill Briscoe, I think she's still alive, but very old by now, very gifted Bible teacher. She was invited to speak to a pastor's conference from her women's perspective and sharing how to be a pastor, exhorting them. And he titled that sharing with three words, a phrase, never say never. And if Peter, before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, have attended that pastor's conference, he might be a different man. Because he shouted out to Jesus and said, even if I die for you, I will never forsake you, man. And Jesus says, never says never. You just don't know. Sometimes a perfect storm hit you. You know, not many Christians or Christian leaders chooses, plan, execute a failure. I don't think so. Not many of us plan to sin in a big way. Let's get together. Let's sin. Okay? Let's try sin. Okay? Let's sin together. I don't think so. Because the spirit in you will convict you. Oftentimes, it is a perfect storm. You have a certain emotional need. And you are brought in that circumstance. And you meet someone who has another emotional need. You need a certain resource. And it happens that you are invited to a position where that resource is available and you happen to have a lot of influence and power. And people don't dare to challenge you because you have, you have such a good track record. You've done good works. People admire you. They hardly ever challenge you. And then you just happen to have great needs for that resource. And it's there. That perfect storm. Never say never. Never say never. This is a message to all of us, pastors, deacons, officers, all those who are serving actively or not actively. Never say never. So that when you humble yourself, as Peter exhorted us, when we encounter someone who denied the Lord in some ways, maybe not physically, maybe just be passive way of denying the Lord, 
then you can tell that person, you know, you can cry over it. But after the tears of repentance, let's start all over again. That's what Peter did. That when you encounter those who boast about their commitment to Christ and they stumble and fail, and you will just talk to them and say, you are most vulnerable when you assume you can handle it because you are least prepared to encounter your opponents. So let's learn from it and never say never. So that when you encounter those who failed, you become so much more gracious and say, you know, I did too. I did too. But God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient. As God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You become more gracious to those who fail because you are wounded and you bring healing to others. I don't know where you are. I don't know how you identify with uh, the three denials of Peter. I hope you are strong. But be humble. Walk with the Lord. If you are still living in regrets, I pray God will really minister and bring healings to you. And remember that it's not the final. Let's pray together. In our time of prayer, I want to invite you uh, for a little time of meditation to apply that message to your life. Are you the one whom I describe as having regrets in your life? That there's one issue that really haunts you for many, many years. Would you come to Jesus, come to the cross, and lay it there, and lay it there, and say, Lord, bring healing to me. I can't reverse the clock. What is done is done. I'm regretful. I apologize. I ask for your forgiveness. And please give me grace that when it comes back, I know how to live with it. For some of you who are in your lowest point and wondering, can it be a launching pad for me to a greater heights? Yes, it can be. But you need to obey the Master's calling. Do you love me more than this? If you say, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, then He says, let me bring you to a greater heights. Feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. Would you pray to Him and say, God, where can I show my nurturing, feeding? What is the platform for me to feed the lambs? For some of you who are learning the lifelong lesson, everybody has that lifelong lesson for humility. Just pray to God and say, God, help me never say never. Peter failed. King David failed. Moses is not perfect. Who do I think I can? Who do I think I can be spared 
from failure. Humble me, Lord. Humble me. Would it be your prayer? Let's spend a short moment before the Lord in reflection and prayer. Before I conclude, then lead you in prayer, to, in concluding prayer. Lord, we are confronted with uh, the three denials of Peter again this morning. And many, many of us have heard that many, many times, but I pray that today, for whatever condition that we are in individually, that you will let that word, maybe that certain point of the message, maybe a certain response from Peter will minister to me. And let me walk with you. Thank you for being so gracious, Lord, to Peter and to me. In Jesus' name, amen.